You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 15 through 23 today. I think one of the ways uh, uh, that you discern if you're understanding what Paul is saying here in chapter 6 um, is, is this, has the effect of uh, this passage been in, in some way to, to lead you to hate your sin more uh, and, uh, than you've ever hated it before and to pursue holiness? Has this teaching here, has Paul's words to us helped to advance our, our desire for holiness uh, for that kind of growth? Has it given us confidence to fight our sin and uh, to yield ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. That's exactly, I think, what uh, Paul is saying. That's what the Spirit uh, wants to do through His Word here in Romans 6. And uh, Paul continues that theme in verses 15 through 23. He writes this, What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, and you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? From the things of which you're now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pause for prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask for your help now. We know that the truth is spiritually discerned when your Holy Spirit illumines and helps our minds and hearts to understand. And so we pray for that today. Um, As we humble ourselves before your word, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that are ready to submit to you. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this chapter is, is really packed with uh, wonderful truth. And, and I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the bigger picture and the main theme. And uh, so I just want to encourage you uh, to not let this be the last time that you think of these things or that you look at chapter 6. Um, there's so much here to cover. Um, this, uh, this is the fourth sermon uh, on chapter 6, and we could have easily 
spent more time here. One of my heroes uh, uh, preaching was Martin Lloyd-Jones, and uh, he preached 22 sermons on this chapter alone. Uh, and uh, so just saying that to say that there's a lot here that's worth your time and effort and to continue to encourage you to study it. But, but in keeping with my promise that we're not going to study Romans for 15 years, um, that we have to keep uh, kind of pressing forward. And, and so we do so, though, with an eye to the big picture of the main thing. So let's think about it for a moment again, the big picture of what he's saying here. Paul is answering the question in verse 1. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You remember he says, by no means. And in verses 1 through 14, the answer that Paul gives for that, should we continue in sin, is, is by no means because we've been given new life in Christ. If you want to write the words new life in Christ out beside verses 1 through 14, it would, it would be a helpful reminder to you. The reason that we don't go on sinning after we become Christians is because, verse 2, we have died to sin. Uh, we've been, verse 4, raised to walk in newness of life. We're no longer in Adam, but we're in Christ. That means that we are no longer under the power, dominion of sin. It used to reign over us. It used to have dominion. But now that we're in Christ, we've been set free from sin's power. And we are under grace, the reign of grace. We've been, and we've talked about this picture, uprooted from one field, the field of sin and death. We've been transferred to a different field, the field of righteousness and life. We don't go on sinning because we've been changed by grace. We're no longer under the law, uh, but under grace, he says in verse 14. So the very soil of our lives, of our hearts, has been radically changed in this new life and Sin doesn't grow there easily anymore. All of a sudden, uh, it, it, it's, it, the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are beginning to grow in our lives because we have this new life. And to say that we can and should continue sinning after this goes against the very nature of the change that's happened in your life and mine. Remember who you are, Paul is saying. Consider yourself dead to sin because that is what you are. You are in Christ and you are under His grace now. That's the first, that, that's the first 14 verses. Now in verse 15, Paul essentially is repeating the same question in verse 1. You'll even hear some of the same uh, tone or language. Verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. It sounds very similar, doesn't it? Very familiar. Even the phrase, do you, do you not know? Similar to verse 3, do you not know? In other words, Paul is saying again, this is something basic. This is something basic to our Christianity, what he's about to say. Do you not know that what has happened to you when you became a Christian, you were saved, you were transformed, you were transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus, you were giving new life. But notice the point here in verse 16. Do you not know that you have a new master, a new Lord of whom you've given yourself? Do you not know, he says, that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Notice Paul's emphasis on obedience here. We might have expected him once again to speak of faith. 
as he's been doing throughout uh, the, the, the Romans so far. But it's not his emphasis here. It's on obedience. He even repeats that theme in verses 17 and 18. He says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin, notice, have become obedient. You've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. So if his first answer of why you shouldn't continue on in sin is that you've been given new life in Christ, the words that you might want to write outside these verses, 15 and following, is that you have a new Lord. You've been given new life. You shouldn't keep sinning because of that. Secondly, it's because you have a new Lord. But Paul is referring to what happened to us when we came to be in Christ, and he'll, he'll even speak of this further, but he's talking about that moment when uh, he articulates it in Romans 10, when we confessed with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We were saved, he says. He's talking about conversion. And he wants us to see how ridiculous it is to think for a moment that there is anything in our Christian faith or anything in the Christian message or anything in the Christian gospel that should ever lead someone back to a life of sin. This should never be an option or a conclusion that we come to. It's completely opposite to the new life, verses 1 through 14, and it's completely contrary to the new Lord that you have. This is the big picture. Should we continue in sin after we've become Christians? No. We have a new life. We have a new Lord. So notice that being said, the big picture, look at some of the details of how Paul explains this to us. And again, I think he's speaking about our conversion. And first he notes that our conversion is an act of self-surrender. Like when, when you came to Christ and were saved, it was an, a, an act of self-surrender. Verse 16, again, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, his very language here might be surprising to us, especially in the time in which we live, that a person is actually presenting themselves to be a slave. What does that mean? What's he talking about that? Well, to understand that, we have to set aside some of our own concepts of American slavery and uh, the period of time in our own history because slavery has been around for centuries uh, in the world, but the form of it has varied uh, quite significantly. In the, the Roman Empire, at the time of Paul's writing here, they, they were said to have had as many as five to eight million slaves. Um, Doriani notes that Roman slavery had several distinct characteristics. Let me briefly share those. First of all, slavery in Rome was neither ethnic nor racial in its character. It had nothing to do with either one of those things. Number two, uh, slavery, uh, enslaved people were often paid for their work at normal uh, pay rates so they could even save their wages to buy their freedom. Uh, number three, slavery was not permanent. 
Uh, number four, slaves uh, had a lots of jobs. Some labored in fields and homes. Some were physicians. Some uh, were estate managers or even involved in, in the treasury of the city and in, in, in management. Fifth, people could become slaves by lots of different ways, by uh, birth, by kidnapping, by defeat in battle, uh, but, but also by, by offering themselves. Why would anyone offer themselves, as Paul says here? And, and the simple reason wasn't that economy in that time, because the, you would offer yourself to slavery if the master that you were coming under could offer you a better life. If, he could offer, if you didn't have food and shelter and some of the things that you needed, possibly an education, this was a better option for, for a lot of people. Some people chose slavery in this time uh, at, for a, a pathway to a better life. Now, obviously, there's limitations here, and Paul even admits that this illustration, as he calls it, or, 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 or seems to call it, this analogy, verse 19, is not perfect. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He's like, this is not a perfect illustration. I understand. But it, but it is a quite powerful illustration, particularly when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to our conversion of what we did when we came to Christ. Before you uh, perhaps are tempted to cancel out Paul, uh, remember it was Jesus who first used slavery to speak of discipleship. He said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus said you can't give yourself in full-time service and absolute loyalty to two masters. It's not possible. Total devotion is necessary for slavery and for discipleship. And that's exactly Paul's point here. Those who offered themselves, he's using as an illustration, to someone to be a slave, they had their offer accepted, but they could not give themselves to a slave master, if you will, and simultaneously retain the freedom that they wanted to live. That's true spiritually as well when it comes, when you come to Christ and in, 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 in your faith, you, you offer yourself to Him. Conversion is an act of self-surrender. We come and we confess Jesus as Lord. He is master. It means you are no longer your master. He is the master. He is the Lord. Slavery, self-surrender leads to slavery, and slavery demands total, radical, exclusive obedience to Jesus. And so this is why Paul says you can't continue in your sinful way of life and follow Jesus Christ at the same time. Uh, secondly, that's, that's kind of the basic principle, but Paul develops it further. <laughs> he always seems to develop things further, doesn't he? Conversion, secondly, involves an exchange of slaveries. Again, he wants us to understand, here's the depth of, what's, uh, of not just what's happened to you that you've been given new life, but of what you have given yourself to in conversion. It's an exchange of two slaveries. That's verses 17 and 18. He says, but thanks be to God 
that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Just a quick note there, it's this, uh, this amazing change that has taken place is so complete and so amazing. You notice that Paul just pauses for a minute and gives a doxology to God. He just says, thanks be to God. What am I about to say? In other words, he's saying to us, uh, is, is praise and thanks be to God. We have no one else to thank for our salvation but God, Right? And he pauses to say it and to remind us that you did not come to Christ because you were smarter than everybody else. You're not, you did not come to Christ because you're some kind of more moral or, or better in some way. No, God saved us all out of His mercy and His grace. He's the author, the initiator of our salvation. Thanks be to God. But then Paul explains how this happened to us. And it's really an exchange of two slaveries. Notice there's a progression. First, he says, verse 17, you used to be slaves to sin. That's where you started. You who were once slaves of sin. And the verb there is an imperfect tense. It's meaning that we were in continual enslavement of sin. That's where we were in Adam, under the dominion of sin, slaves to sin. And this is a horrible reality. If you would pause and just think about what that means, what that meant for you. What it even means today, Donald Guthrie puts it like this. Sin, he writes, is a debt. It is a burden. It is a thief, it is a sickness, it is a leprosy, it is a plague, it is a poison, it is a serpent, it is a sting. Everything that man hates, it is, he writes. A load of curses and calamities. Who is the hoary sexton that digs man a grave? Who is the painted temptress that steals his virtue? Who is the murderess that destroys his life? Who is the sorceress that first deceives and then damns his soul? Sin, he writes. Who with icy breath blights the fair blossoms of youth? Who breaks the hearts of parents? Who brings old men's gray hairs with sorrow to the grave? Sin. Sin is what wrecks lives. Sin is that soul-damning reality that infects us like an incurable cancer. We struggle to be free of it, but we cannot be free. We are enslaved by this sin. You say, where did Paul get this view of life? Where did he get this at? He, again, he got this from Jesus, our Lord. You remember Jesus said in John 8, 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Every man and woman, boy and girl, is born into slavery and, and sin. It is unsaved man that thinks himself to be free. He thinks that the offer of the gospel is going to restrict his liberty. But I, I would remind you, as Jesus is teaching and saying here, if you're lost, you don't have any liberty. 
You're enslaved by your sins. That's what Jesus says. There's no such freedom for an unsaved person. All unbelievers are slaves to sin. We were in Adam. We were under the dominion of sin, Paul tells us. But praise God, something happened to us, right? What does he say? The second thing, verse 17, we've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Paul's talking there about the moment of our conversion. He's just describing it in different terminology, isn't he? The moment we become obedient. I remind you, he spoke of this in chapter 1, verse 5. He called uh, the gospel and coming to Christ and the gospel uh, the obedience of faith. We normally wouldn't use that terminology, but that's the terminology. That's the proper response to the gospel. It is to obey. To obey is to express our faith, to submit to Jesus as Lord. This is what happened to us at Converse. And we became obedient from the heart, he said, to the standard of teaching, to a form of teaching, a form of doctrine, a set of beliefs, if you will. This is very interesting. Again, we could spend so much more time here. Stott notes this. Paul evidently sees conversion not only as trusting in Christ, but as believing and acknowledging the truth. That's critical to understand. Being a Christian is not believing in Christ and then believing and doing whatever you want to do with your life. No, it's conforming to the mold, the pattern, the sound doctrine of the Bible. Donald Gray Barnhouse put it like this, Scriptural teaching is not a vague, formless impression of truth, although you would certainly think it was today. Scriptural teaching, he says, is a definite body of teaching, a hard mold of truth into which the Christian is to be melted and poured until he takes on its shape, which is the Lord Jesus Christ living in him, controlling him. Because they are part of this divine mode, all of the doctrines of the Christian faith are closely related, he writes. Therefore, if one of them is destroyed, the mold is shattered. We're shaped by sound gospel doctrine. That's what God does in conversion and salvation. He's shaping us into his mold, into his pattern, which is ultimately his son, Jesus Christ. That's why it's critical. Third, notice the progression. He says, you have been set free from sin, verse 18. You became obedient at your salvation, and now you've been set free from sin. And again, just to remind you, that doesn't mean free from temptation, unfortunately. That does not mean that you're free from sinning. But it does mean that you're free from the slavery of sin, from its domination of your life. We're no longer under its dominion. In other words, we've said it already, but we're free not to sin. The greatest gift God could ever give to us is the freedom from sin and a right standing with Him. And this is exactly what Christ has provided for us when we trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. We're set free from sin. Here's the fourth. Here's the exchange, verse 18. You have become slave to righteousness he says. You started out slaves to sin, but now, he says, you've become, verse 18, slaves of righteousness. 
In Christ, we have a new nature that now hates sin and desires to follow Christ in obedience. And really, you you can't get away from this. It it is a a slavery of sorts in the sense that that what Christ has done has affected such a remarkable change in your life that it's just a natural bent now for you that you hate your sin. You desire less and less of it and more and more of Christ. And His holiness. In actuality, uh, again, and Paul would say there's limitations to this illustration, but in actuality, this is freedom. In Christ, we're free. Amen? It's salvation. We're free to do right for the first time in our lives. And indeed, here's the point. We want to do right because of the grace that has been given to us. Anyone who is saying, as Paul opponents were, that this gospel is somehow going to free us up to sin more because we're going to get more grace if we keep go on sinning, they've completely misunderstood salvation. Salvation doesn't free you to sin. It frees you to do right. And in fact, it becomes the desire of your heart to do right. So Paul here is comparing these two slaveries. He's trying to help us to understand the remarkable thing that has happened to us. Here's what Christopher Ashe writes. We are transferred from a cruel slavery to a gracious slavery. From a closed slavery to an open slavery. From a forced response to a free response. From a slavery that leads to death into a slavery that leads to life. So decisive is this transfer by the grace and power of God from slavery to sin to slavery of righteousness. Paul cannot help contain himself. Thanks be to God, he says. Are you thankful for that, Christian? You recognize what's happened you. It's a glorious thing that God has done and that we are no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to God and righteousness. This is life-changing. It changes the direction of our lives. This is Paul's third point. Conversion leads, he says, to holy living. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, if you've been following the last week or two, you know, this is a restatement in verses 12 through 14, isn't it, that we talked about last week? It's the same language, even. Don't let sin reign in your bodies. Don't present your members to sin. Present yourselves to God as instruments of of righteousness. Why does he say this, though, here? Why is he repeating it? Because he's reminding us that these decisions are leading us somewhere. There's a progression here. In other words, if you keep going down the path of sin and impurity, it will lead. Notice it says lead, leading to it will lead you to more lawlessness. There's a downward progression here. You keep thumbing your nose at God and going your own way. It's leading you down a path of sin that will lead to death and judgment. God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. But in this exhortation, notice for Christians, he says, you used to present yourselves as slaves to righteousness, but now present your members 
as slaves to, or slaves to impurity, but now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Why, he says, because notice again, it leads to something. What does it lead to? Sanctification, holiness. How do you know if you're a Christian or not? How can you be sure? If you're a new creation in Christ, having died to sin, being raised to walk in newness of life, you'll find yourself growing in your hatred of sin and your desires growing for holiness. You understand what he's saying? Neither of these uh, uh, slaveries are static. They're, they're, They're dynamic. You're either going in one direction or you're going the other. You're not just standing still. And so, one is steadily progressing downward in sin. The other is progressing toward holiness. Paul says, I want you to, I'm challenging, I'm encouraging you. Present yourself, your thoughts, your emotions, your actions, your motivation. Yield them to God because of where it is leading in your life, to holiness and life. Yes, it will be a battle. Yes, it's not easy. Yes, it's an uphill climb. But you'll find, he says, as you're presenting yourself like this, that it will lead to righteousness, to righteousness, to righteousness. You'll be growing in holiness. We'll see more of this in chapter 7 when the Apostle Paul will share his own testimony about how wretched he is because, I don't know, I relate very much to Paul uh, at times wondering if I will ever have victory over my sin. Is there anybody else who ever wonders that? You hear all these glorious realities and you think to yourself, am I ever going to have victory over this? Am I ever going to progress? And Paul says, you will, you will progress if you yield yourselves to God in this way. I love how MacArthur puts it again. It's such a short sentence. He says, there's a sense. This is how you know you're growing. There's a sense in which you will, you will sin less. But you will feel worse about your sin. That's a marker. You see, but if you're without Christ and you continue on this path, you're going to become more and more sinful. And less and less concerned. You'll go from bad to worse. These two slaveries are not static. They're leading somewhere. And ultimately, that's where Paul ends with consequences here. Where do these paths ultimately lead? For the believer, number four, conversion results in eternal life, he says. For when you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things, here's where it's going, is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end. Eternal life, he says. Paul says, think about it. When you were slaves to sin, you were lost. He's asking you, what fruit were you getting at that time? What benefit were you getting at that time from from things of which you are now ashamed? Paul says, the fruit you were getting for yourself was death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. He's talking about everlasting death in hell. 
But now, he says, that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. The fruit that you get is sanctification and life, that is, eternal life. And he makes it plain, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So think about this in the way of application. Can we as Christians still sin happily and gladly because knowing that where sin abounds, grace is also going to abound. No. We, we won't do this. Why? Because we have a new life. That he's, we're new creations in Christ. Oh, but, but, but can't we go on sinning since we're no longer under the law and the penalty of the law? We're going to be saved? That penalty was paid for by Jesus' death. The, the answer is no, because we've been given a new life and a new Lord. We're being shaped and molded by the teaching of our Lord. One more quote from Stott. Here then, we are two completely different lives. Lives totally opposed to one another. There's no ambiguity here, in other words. There's the life of the old self and the life of the new. They are what Jesus termed the broad road that leads to destruction and the narrow road that leads to life. Paul calls them two slaveries. By birth, we're slaves to sin. By grace and faith, we are now slaves of God. The slavery of sin yields no return except a steady moral deterioration and finally death. The slavery of God yields the precious return of sanctification and finally eternal life. You're saying, why couldn't you just read that paragraph and we'd end it a lot sooner, amen? That makes it clear. The, the evidence of all of this, though, is are we presenting ourselves to God to obey Him? Are you? I read this week where Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, the former, former communist leader of the Soviet Union, passed away. And uh, was thinking, just reading some of the articles and things about the fall of the Berlin Wall. And you remember that wall in Germany that separated, divided the, the democratic and 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 free West Germany from the Soviet-controlled and communistic East Germany. And uh, you remember uh, Reagan's speech, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, and all of the events that led to the end of the Soviet Union and the Cold War. I haven't been... I'd uh, like to go maybe someday, but I'm told there's this museum that's on some remnants of the wall there in Berlin that's called Checkpoint Charlie. And uh, you can read there apparently in this museum all of these uh, people who, tr who sought to escape the, the slavery of East Germany to get to the freedom of the West. And uh, all, all these names that are there. But it's interesting uh, that there's not one example of anyone trying to climb the wall to get from the freedom of the West to go into the slavery of the East. Not one. And, and understandably so, if you, if you know history, right? It would be almost absurd, as absurd as a Christian thinking, should I 
continue in my sin that grace may abound. Should I go back to my sin? The absurdity is exactly what prompted Paul to write this chapter. Why would you want to go back to that which you have died to in Christ, your sin? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? How can we who have been set free from sin want to go back into its slavery? Why would you want to go back in something that's leading to sin and death and judgment? It's about as absurd as someone trying to climb the Berlin Wall from the west to the east. Hear this. A, a Christian is someone who's been given new life and a new Lord. And the enormous effect that that has on that person is that they don't ever want to go back. Lord, please affect the work of your word in our hearts. We're thankful that when we do sin, that we have a Savior who cleanses our sin from all unrighteousness. But Lord, may it be true what Paul is saying here, that as we fight and present ourselves to you as instruments and as slaves to, to righteousness, that you would do that work in our hearts where we would never want to go back. And we would hate our sin more and more and love you We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.